Yeah, thank you, Derek. Um, my name is Ken. I'm an alcoholic. Um, I'm really grateful to be here with you guys tonight. <laughs> Although I'm in something of a, a, a Zoom dead zone in my house this weekend for some reason. Um, I'm having to call in on my cell phone, so hopefully I'll be able to stay in there with you guys. I apologize for that. I don't know what's going on. But um, my sobriety date September 13th, 1987. I have a little app on my phone that tells me that today actually is my 12,000 day of, of sobriety on this day, kind of a milestone, I guess. Um, uh, my sponsor is Tom P, and I have several home groups, um, uh, men's, men's meeting in Laguna Beach, a Monday night men's meeting that I've gone to since I got sober. Um, I, uh, Gosh, I, um, I, I, I love this meeting. Um, this was one of my regular meetings when it used to be over there by the YMCA on Crown Valley Parkway, uh, where the swimming pool was. And I, I remember Bobby and I taking our one-year birthdays there. And there were 13 people taking a one-year cake the night we did, among us. We were two of the 13 celebrating one year in, in September of 88. And I was just blown away. We've never seen so many one-year birthdays. And that night also, the meeting was like downstairs because they were doing redoing the carpet upstairs. So uh, it's funny what you remember, and I can't believe it's been that long. Uh, I've been sober over half my life, and, and uh, I have an incredible life today because of this program, because of Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, the steps and uh, the fellowship. Um, thank you, Derek. Uh, Derek's been a good friend of mine for over 30 years, and um, Glad to see you here leading the meeting. That's awesome. And I want to thank um, the secretary for um, having me, Carrie, for having me come speak with you guys. Uh, Kent that referred me to Carrie and um, um, my sponsee, Kirk, that's here and my, my good friend, Jay, that I wouldn't be sober without Jay in my life. I mean, I don't think any of us would be sober without Jay. And, um, uh, and welcome the newcomers, Jennifer, Sarah, Jeff, and Jewel. Um, don't be intimidated by somebody with 30, 32 years of sobriety. You know, I stay sober one day at a time, the same as anybody else. Uh, I need Alcoholics Anonymous. I need this fellowship uh, more than ever, especially now, you know, during this quarantine. You know, I've been, um, been at home for um, over four months now, uh, kind of locked down here in Laguna Niguel. I live in Laguna Niguel. And, um, you know, I, I love the Zoom meetings. I'm doing a couple of them a day, um, but um, uh, it, it's, and it's, it works. You know, I haven't drank, you know, um, but, um, you know, I do miss the, uh, the fellowship, you know, the interaction, the in-person hugs and laughter and everything else. But um, uh, I think it'll be a while before we get back to that. Uh, I know some of the meetings are starting to open back up again, and, and I've, uh, I've been to a couple of uh, in-person meetings. Um, none of them indoors. I, I've been down to our, we have a men's meeting on the beach at, uh, in Laguna on uh, the weekends on Saturday, Sunday mornings. And I've been down there a couple of times, um, socially distanced and, and being very careful. But, um, you know, I, 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 think, I think what's happening in the world today is a very thing. You know, I, I don't take it lightly. You know, a lot of people dying from this disease, this illness, this pandemic, I guess. And, um, you know, I didn't get sober and work these steps and uh, have a spiritual way of life, you know, just to go out and do something crazy that's going to 
you know, jeopardize me or somebody else, you know, with a, a deadly pandemic illness. So um, uh, I don't, I don't mind being, you know, erring on the side of caution today. Um, I, uh, I was born in um, Annapolis, Maryland. My dad was uh, uh, in the Navy. He, he's a retired career Naval officer. Uh, he's still around. He's 93 years old. I talk to him every day. He retired to Virginia Beach. And, um, and I love my dad, you know, and I didn't, you know, <laughs> for a long time. But uh, that's one of the healing properties of uh, working these 12 steps. Um, anyway, we, we moved around a lot. And um, uh, when I was um, 13, I, I found alcohol. And um, I, uh, I started drinking. And, and uh, I'm a child of the 60s, you know, those were the peace, love, and, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll days, and, um, and I, I did it all, you know. Um, when I was 15 years old, I ran away from home. I dropped out of the 10th grade um, and just lived on the streets, and I didn't go back to school, didn't go back home, and um, I started using, drinking and using every single day from the age of 15 until I got sober when I was 32, for the most part. Um, and it was, uh, and, and it went down fast, you know, um, the freedom at, at that age, you know, of no responsibility, you know, um, and, you know, the, the alcohol worked, you know, I mean, I think for all of us, it, you know, we have to admit that, you know, it worked for a while, you know, I mean, the book says, uh, we drank because we liked the effect produced by alcohol. And, and that was certainly my case. You know, I, I love the effect produced by alcohol. And I always drank for that effect. Um, I don't think my drinking was ever social. Um, I started getting in trouble almost immediately from my drinking. And I, I've been arrested a lot. Um, I've, I've totaled many cars under the influence of alcohol and drugs. Um, had uh, drug overdoses and suicide attempts. And um, uh, I should have died. I really should have. I. Um, by the time I was 17, I was uh, a daily IV drug user and, um, and uh, just going downhill fast. Um, me and I had a junkie girlfriend, Mary, um, our, our best friends were, was this couple, this older couple, uh, Bob and um, Pat. And, and Bob was a drywaller, a construction guy that sold heroin. And, and Pat was a prostitute. Uh, they, he was, um, she was Bob's girlfriend, and, and those were our role models, you know. We would listen to jazz music and drink scotch and, and um, shoot China White, and uh, I just thought I was so cool. And um, I was dying inside, though. Uh, I was uh, literally dying, and it got really bad, you know, as, as it will for anybody, you know. Um, you know, they, they say this disease, it starts out, you know, fun, and then fun with problems, and then, you know, just problems. And, um, you know, on the track I was on, that, that accelerated really fast. Um, in 76, uh, right after Christmas of 76, Mary and I moved to San Clemente. Um, she got pregnant on the, on the, the way out there, and um, we, we really didn't know anybody in South Orange County. Um, but uh, we were determined to, to make this geographic work. And um, I got a job working graveyard at the Shell Station on Ortega Highway. 
That was where I started out. And Mary was a waitress daytimes down at the Caro's restaurant on Pico. I think they finally closed that. That was open until like last year. But, um, you know, we were, we were just, you know, kind of going cold turkey because we didn't have connections here. And Mary wasn't even old enough to drink. And I, I was 21 and just barely old enough to drink. And, um, and, and it, it was going sideways. You know, we weren't sleeping together because I worked graveyard and she worked days. So we really didn't see much of each other. And I came home from the graveyard shift one day and she was gone. And her, her parents had flown out and picked her up and took her away and put her in an unwed, unwed mother's home uh, and where she gave our daughter up for adoption in, in September of 77. Uh, and I never got to be a father to that child. And, um, you know, just one of the many regrets, you know, from my drinking and, and um, you know, drug addiction, you know, but uh, it was actually kind of a relief when Mary was gone, you know, and I didn't have to worry about all of that. And, uh, and it was just party on. And within two years, by 79, I wound up in my first treatment program. Um, I had a, a really bad overdose and I wound up at the South Coast Hospital in, Laguna Beach Mission Hospital now, and um, and uh, it was a cocaine overdose, and they put me in the what was called the stress unit back at that time. It's the, the nut ward, or you know, behavioral sciences, or something like that today. But they called it the stress unit. I think it was on the third floor, and I said I did 30 days. They talked to me about you know the amount of drugs I did. I didn't really tell them I drank that much. And uh, so they didn't really make me go to AA, but they had a couple 12 step meetings, but I had no intention of, uh, of stopping drinking or, you know, anything else really at that time. And so I went back out and this kind of set up a pattern. You know, if, if you're new, um, you know, my story is one of relapse. Uh, it, it just, it took, what, it took what it took for me to surrender finally. But, you know, if you're here tonight and you're hearing the message, um, if you don't hear anything else, know that you don't ever have to drink or use anything else ever again one day at a time. You have found the only way out that I have ever, ever found in my life, you know, and, and believe me, I tried everything, you know, but AA works, you know, and, and you know, I've been in AA, an active member like my friend, my dear friend, Bobby, you know, for, it'll be 33 years here in about a month and a half. And, um, and, and I have this wonderful life that uh, I'll tell you about here in a bit. Um, so you don't have to go in and out. You don't have to work on your story. You don't have to have some radical bottom. You know, I think we all have our own skid row between our ears, you know, and, uh, things, things have gotten really bad for me. I, I've been in several jails and like I said, I towed a lot of cars and, you know, been in a lot of hospitals. Um, but, um, you know, um, as long as I thought there was still some kind of a solution in drugs and alcohol. I was going to keep doing that. And so um, I got another stress unit. Uh, I'm working at the Shell Station in Dana Point at this time. The, the guys in San Juan, they bought the station down on Coast Highway in Dana Point. And I worked there for 10 years, um, uh, nine years of active alcoholism, and then one year in sobriety. Um, and uh, every, every two years, I would kind of hit a bottom, you know, overshoot the mark, and usually come in through another treatment program through the emergency room. In 81, I went back to that hospital in Laguna, and uh, after they cleaned me up in the emergency room, they put me up in a, they had a carry unit in 81. And then um, I got introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous, 
Um, I got a sponsor, a Tom Whalen, um, who's since passed on, the electrician, and um, and he did his best. You know, he really did. Um, and I didn't stay sober though, and I'll I'll explain that to you guys in a minute. Uh, I went out for a couple more years. I came back in December of '83, same hospital, back through the emergency room again. Uh, week in intensive care this time, nearly died. And they had um, a program called Genesis in 83. And I went through that. I called the electrician back up again and asked him if he'd help me, you know, with this ANA stuff. And um, I stuck around almost nine months that time. Um, but, uh, and here's, here's the, the key. I did not stay sober because I never worked the steps. You know, it, it sounds really simple and it is really, you know, cause this is a, a simple program, but it's not easy. You know, it really does take a surrender. And um, I went back out again, and uh, my last, hopefully my last, uh, uh, I stayed out for over two years and did everything I possibly could to protect my right to drink and use drugs. I, um, I got back in, uh, I, I, I lasted until about summer of 87. I'm still working at that shell station. I, kind of moved up. I, I was a petroleum transfer engineer, I like to say. You know, I just pumped gas for many years there, but I worked myself up into management. And um, so I had weekends off. And uh, uh, every Friday, like my good friend Dan S would say, uh, I'd get my, you know, I'd get off work, get my paycheck, get off work, I'd run to the bank, cash the check, you know, run to the liquor store, run to the dealer's house. I'd also run to a drugstore and buy some syringes or whatever. Drugs and alcohol, I could get up in my room and party, party for the week. Um, and that's all I would do. You know, I was for me. I wasn't sitting in bars. You know, that's where my alcoholism had left. It was the desperation and the pitiful and incomprehensible. Uh, hit that bottom. And um, like I said, I had had several suicides and um, it was probably in June of that summer. Um, I heard on the news that, um, yeah, the comedian, uh, Joan, her husband, Edgar Rosenberg, had committed suicide. Uh, he'd taken an overdose of Valium and, and mixed with alcohol and it killed him, you know, and, and she was devastated and um, what I took away from that was something that I had not tried yet. And I just kind of filed that back in the back of my head as useful information. And, you know, I'm out there, you know, just running and gunning and, you know, barely hanging on to my, my job at the Shell station and, uh, you know, not even living check to check. I'm going deeper and deeper into debt and uh, just ruining any, any relationships I ever had. Um, calling on my, my dad to bail me out time and time again. And uh, uh, it was one Friday night, late August of 87, and I had done my normal cash to check, you know, stock up and lock myself in the room deal. And, um, and uh, I, in addition to doing a lot of uh, cocaine and heroin, I was also taking Valiums, you know, and now to, um, you know, so I would pass out and get a little bit of sleep before I had to get up and go to work the next day. And on this particular, early Saturday morning after um, a night of um, drinking and drugging, 
uh, I was out of uh, out of anything, everything else, but um, I had a bottle of tequila and um, a bottle of Valium with uh, about 80 of those left in it. And I just, um, I, can't, I, I thought back to that little news article I heard about Edgar Rosenberg's suicide ago. That's it. I'm just going to eat these Valium and down this tequila and lay down and, uh, and never wake up again. You know, that's all I really wanted to do. I, I didn't make any dramatic phone calls or write any suicide notes or anything like that. I just, I downed 800 milligrams of Valium and I chugged a pint of warm pint of uh, Cuervo gold and, and laid down to die. And, um, it should have killed me. You know, it obviously didn't, you know, I wouldn't be here. Um, I guess Edgar Rosenberg hadn't done an eight ball um, when he did his overdose, uh, but I'd done, you know, a few grams of cocaine that night, and um, I came to Monday morning, and my phone was ringing in my bedroom, and it was the owners of the Shell station asking if I was thinking about coming to work that day, and I was wasted. I came out of a, a fugue, a drug-induced uh, overdose state, and I was still wasted, and, um, and I told them that I couldn't make it. And they asked me if they wanted me to, if they wanted to call an ambulance, wanted me to have them call an ambulance. I said, no, I'll, I'll make it to a hospital. I was living in Dana Point and that hospital Bobby talked about Capistrano by the sea was probably only about eight or 10 blocks from my house. And somehow I drove up to that. I, I got there and stumbled in and kind of passed out. And, uh, they told me a couple days later that, uh, on admittance, I had a lethal blood Valium out uh, level, that there was enough Valium in my, uh, in my blood, you know, to kill several people, and it should have, except they also detected the cocaine, which I said, that countered the effects of the Valium and essentially telling me that cocaine saved my life. Um, you know, it's funny, I, I, I saw, saw something on Netflix the other day, um, The Business of Drugs, you know, I, I can't believe people still do cocaine. That is like the worst drug ever. It's like, I, I guess it's, you know, for people that have too much money or something, but uh, it really, really wanted to make, make me kill myself. Uh, I guess the thing though, uh, I, I, I'm not grateful that cocaine saved my life because I don't believe that today. I believe that it was a, a power greater than myself that I call God, you know, that intervened and, and uh, helped me get sober. But, um, you know, uh, I do, I am grateful that the, you know, all the drugs I did helped me hit my bottom as, uh, you know, as quick as I did uh, and helped me get into this program when I was, when I was able to do that. Um, that surrender, um, my sobriety, September 13th um, in 87. Uh, I spent 37 days at that hospital, Capistrano by the Sea. I met my best friend Bobby in there, you know, and we've been doing this thing a day at a time, you know, for coming up on 33 years. And, um, you know, uh, it, it works, it really does. It's, it's, it's an incredible way of life I've got, all because of Alcoholics Anonymous. And everything good in my life is a direct result of, of being in Alcoholics Anonymous, of, of working a spiritual program of action and taking these 12 steps. I, um, uh, I got a sponsor while I was still in the hospital. Um, I didn't call the electrician this time. I'm not sure why. I, I called another gentleman, John Boiserank, uh, an older gentleman that lived in uh, North Laguna. And, um, and he happily agreed to, to come and help me. And 
while we were still in treatment, you know, they let John pick me and Bobby up and take us to some of some meetings, some of the men's meetings in Laguna. And, um, and I started working the steps um, with, with John. Uh, John was my sponsor my first seven years of sobriety. He passed away in 94 from leukemia, but uh, he, he died sober. You know, he was, I think, 33 years sober when he passed away. And um, I couldn't have had a better fit, you know. Um, I guess when the student was ready, the teacher appeared. Uh, I, I, I tell you that um, I didn't stay sober because I didn't work the steps. And so this time in my fourth treatment program um, and, and reintroduced Alcoholics Anonymous again, I had a, uh, I had a, my surrender was basically, I really wanted to die and I wasn't able to do it. And, and I had of the invention of a power greater than myself saved my life. And uh, I became willing. And, and my surrender this is again, trying to be able to do things I used to do, which has long since ceased to happen, but uh, I have used those. Um, but uh, I have some will to live and to go to hand. And um, the, the steps previously with um, was, you know, the, the spiritual aspects of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I, I've come to now believe that there's nothing about this program that's not spiritual, but I used to think that it was religious. And um, when I was growing up, my, my father's father, my grandfather on my dad's side, Daddy Benny, uh, he was a, a minister. Uh, he lived in Mountain, North Carolina, he had a tobacco plantation, and he was a pre-Baptist minister. Um, I think the Primitive Baptists are still around. They're kind of an offshoot of the Southern Baptists, um, just kind of like Southern Baptists squared. In that it was really almost a puritanical, you know, hellfire and brimstone. Spare the child, you know, and spoil, spare the rod and spoil the child. And, you know, the thoughts as bad as the deed and all that stuff. So I had a really messed up concept of God as a, as a young and I never wanted to have anything to do with that power. And so I heard you guys talk about God in Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, saying prayers and holding hands and God's mentioned in two of our steps. Um, I just didn't want to have anything to do with it. I equated that to religion. And um, it wasn't until I finally surrendered and nearly died where I was able to listen to someone else tell me that, why don't you just try to think of this as a spiritual God, a higher power. You don't even have to call him God. And, um, and, and John, John was just the perfect sponsor for me. He, um, he suggested that I get on my knees every morning and turn my will and my life over the care of a power greater than myself. And he just said, why don't you say, please, why don't you let your morning prayer every day be please. And at the end of the night, every night, get on your knees and say, thank you. And that, that didn't sound religious to me at all. You know, the getting on the knees part did. But he's, he, he told me that, you know, we get on our knees to get our attention, not to get God's attention. You know, to make it more of a kind of a habit-forming thing. And so I started doing that, you know. And, and, and that was another surrender, you know, to listen to what someone else said, you know, worked for them that might work for me. And I started doing that. And he took me through the steps. And he suggested that if I didn't want to be a, uh, a career petroleum transfer engineer, 
that I might think about getting an education. And, um, you know, I would do anything John said. You know, I got a GED and I started taking some classes at uh, Saddleback. And um, within, well, uh, within a year of sobriety, after I had my, I did the first, I did all 12 steps my first year of sobriety. And, and Bobby and I took our cake there at Crown Valley, you know, in September of 88, our one-year cake with the other 11 people taking one year. And, um, you know, actually one of those people, Gina, Gina went through Capital by the Sea with us, and she's still sober. Uh, Gina, um, and uh, she's a good friend of mine. I, I see her all the time. And, you know, me and her and Bobby, you know, are all part of the class of 87, you know, and survivors from that, that treatment program and have great lives because of Alcoholics Anonymous. Anyway, I, um, I kept going to school. Uh, I got a job away from the Shell Station. I worked there a year in sobriety, you know, make, to make living amends to the guys that had been so good to me for all that time. And then um, I started working for a member of Alcoholics Anonymous in his office doing some bookkeeping. And I was taking bookkeeping classes. And, uh, and a year later, you know, in 89, the real estate market hit the bottom here in Orange County and he lost everything and he had to lay me off. And so, um, so John said, excuse me, he suggested, well, why don't I go back to school full time? You know, this seems like a perfect opportunity to, to go ahead and get my college degree. And so I did that, you know, I, um, uh, I went to, I signed up and enrolled in full-time classes. I got an evening weekend job driving limousines and, uh, in two, in two more years, um, I got an AA degree from uh, Saddleback, and uh, I graduated top of my class with a 4.0 and valedictorian, and that got me a scholarship up to Chapman University. And um, I transferred there, and um, two more years at Chapman, I um, I, I got a uh, I had a full ride, um, and there was a lot of people in Alcoholics Anonymous that helped facilitate that. And uh, I kind of felt indebted to Chapman for, um, for, you know, giving me this great education that I didn't have to pay a dime for. Yeah, that's a really expensive school now. And in um, the early 90s, it wasn't a cheap school even then. But uh, I, I, I didn't pay anything for it. And, um, and I'm so grateful for that education. I, uh, uh, I, I was very active. Every, every, every year I had a student government position. I was on a lot of committees. I did a bunch of charity work. Uh, we started AA meetings on campus. And, and um, I look back at my, my college education and I don't know how I did it. You know, I was taking uh, as much as, I think the most I took was 21 units one semester. And I, I ended up doing seven years of college and maintained a 4.0 throughout the whole time. And I was valedictorian in three different classes. Um, every year, uh, USA Today, the um, newspaper, they picked, uh, you know, they picked the All-American baseball team and the All-American football team. And they also choose the top 20 students in the United States to compose, comprise the All-American academic team. And in uh, 1995, um, this little, little alcoholic uh, drug addict from Chapman University was a member of the first team, All-American academic team from Chapman University. And, um, and, and, and what a, what a huge honor, what a, what a tremendous opportunity to represent my university. Um, they, uh, they take all the, 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 the first team members and they fly you to 
to Washington, D.C. and put you up in a fancy hotel by the White House. They have this big luncheon and um, they invite your parents, you know, to come to the luncheon. They, they pay for your parents to fly in. And, um, you know, my mom and dad came and, and because I've been sober for, you know, and at this time I was at eight year, almost eight years sober, seven years sober. And I'd made the amends and I'd had a relationship with my parents again. And, um, you know, I paid my dad back all that money. And, uh, you know, is one of the things he, he always told me when I would call him from, from jail or from a hospital or whatever, you know, asking for help or usually asking for money, you know, he'd say, you know, you know, can you keep doing what you're doing? You're going to keep getting what you're getting. You know, that was just dad's way of telling me I was messing up. And, um, you know, that afternoon sitting there, we were in Arlington, Virginia at the headquarters of USA Today on the top floor for this luncheon. And uh, before, before each one of the students went up and got their, their award, um, they read off a little biography about everybody, you know, what they did. And, you know, I mean, they just made you sound incredible. And um, they read this off and, and I walk up and I give a little speech and they give you this trophy. And I went back and I sat down at the table, this round table with me and my, my parents. And, um, you know, my mom's crying and my dad said, let me see that, you know, and I hand him the trophy and, you know, he's just beaming, you know, and um, he gives it back and he says, you know, Ken, you keep doing what you're doing, you're gonna keep getting what you're getting. And it had come full circle because of Alcox Anonymous, you know, um, I've been overpaid, you know, I just, uh, it's just incredible that, you know, I got my family back. I got, I still had a brain I didn't even know I had. And, um, and, and opportunities, you know, that I shouldn't have had, you know, the way I was going, I shouldn't even been alive. You know, I, I didn't want to be alive. I was trying to die. And um, uh, the last thing I did, my last year of school, um, graduate school there at Chapman, I, uh, I was the director, director of entertainment. I, mean, I, I was even student body president one year. That's how crazy I was. You know, I just, I just did everything. I, I wanted to give everything I could. The last year though, uh, I was director of entertainment and I had this budget to put, camp, put on concerts at campus. And, um, and we, en we would end the school year every year with a benefit show um, called Noise for the Needy. And uh, we would, uh, they'd always hired like local ska and punk bands and you know, charge five bucks and, and they'd raise money for a food bank in Orange called Mary's Kitchen. Well, the last year I was there as the director of entertainment, I was in charge of this. And I went to, I wanted to go big. And, and, and again, another gentleman in Alcoholics Anonymous, he was managing some bands, some well-known bands. And um, I got together with him and we worked up this plan to have his bands play at my school for this benefit concert. Uh, the only thing he had said I had to do was I had to work with a, a Los Angeles area promoter. So he introduced me to these guys that um, run this company called Golden Voice up in Los Angeles. And at the time, you know, in 90, 95, it was a really, they were a really small outfit, you know, working out of a two-story house on Sunset Boulevard. But um, they, they signed on with me to do the show and put up their liability insurance and their Ticketmaster contract. And we put one ad in the OC Weekly and we sold the thing out. You know, we sold it out in like three days and um, we turned the gymnasium at Chapman University into a mosh pit. It was just nuts. And I remember at the end of the night, um, we were sitting backstage, um, me and this friend of mine in um, 
uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous that managed these bands. He was there with his, his girlfriend, which ended up becoming his wife. They were there. And, and the two guys that owned Golden Voice, Rick and Paul. And so we're all sitting backstage and the Dean, Dean Curtis comes back, you know, to thank us all and tell us how great it was. And we raised $30,000 for this, this food bank. And, um, you know, he just shook all of our hands and just said, this was awesome. You guys did a really good thing for the community and the university and that he was really grateful. And he, he laughed and, um, you know, they were talking about it and they go, they gave me all the credit, you know, and, and um, Paul that uh, still owns Golden Voice today um, said, um, you know, yeah, you, you seem a natural at this. Have you ever thought about doing this for a living, you know? And it was kind of off the cuff, but I, I came back to him. I go, well, is that a job offer? And he said, well, do you want a job offer? And I go, I was in, I was getting an MBA. I was in their business school. And um, I said, well, you know, this is the most fun I'd had in seven years of college. And, um, you know, I, let's give it a try. And he said, well, come work for us this summer. And, and if you like it, you know, we'll take it from there. And if not, you know, you can go on back out into corporate America. And, um, and that was, uh, yeah, that was uh, summer of 96. And uh, I joined the music industry, you know, it was kind of like going off to join the circus. And um, I've been in the concert business ever since. You know, I worked for, I worked for Golden Voice for two years. I moved over to the Universal Amphitheater and I worked there for a year and a half. And they sent me down to San Diego where I ran the Coors Amphitheater and the booking office down there for a while. And then in um, late 99, I got an opportunity to start touring. And I've been touring now. This is my 20th year on the road, um, tour managing bands. And, um, you know, uh, you know, I know a lot of people say like their sponsors have them write down when they're new, what they want to, you know, what they want what they want their life to look like in, you know, one year, five years, 10 years. You know, I, I couldn't have dreamed, you know, the life I had, you know, you know, in sobriety, you know, because of, from working these steps, you know, I just, I've always loved music. I've always loved live music. I've always gone to concerts, um, usually loaded, almost always loaded. Um, but, um, you know, I guess my dream would have been to have a career where I got paid to go to concerts. And, and that's what I do have today. And I still have, you know, unfortunately, the live entertainment industry is one of the most heavily impacted by this coronavirus. Um, you know, uh, I was in Minneapolis, uh, I was on tour on March 13th, it was a Friday, and we were doing a, playing a, an arena at a casino there that night. And uh, that's when we got the call that uh, they were shutting everything down. And our shows for that weekend had been canceled, and we all got on the planes and flew home. And I've been home ever since Friday the 13th, March 13th. And you know, I, uh, I'm on a, a Zoom meeting every week with um, my band members and our management. And, you know, we talk about, you know, what's going to happen, you know, what the future looks like for, for my industry and a lot of people's industries, to be honest, you know, I mean, sporting events, you know, gyms, movie theaters, you know, it's, it's, it's really a strange world we're living in right now. And, and nobody's ever lived through something like this, not in our lifetimes, you know, and, um, you know, it just keeps getting pushed back farther and farther before they're going to start having live, large scale live events again, you know hopefully by next summer, you know, I mean, but, you know, I heard something today that could be 2022, you know, who knows. Um, but, you know, one of the things I've learned from this program is 
to stay in the moment, you know, to the only reason I have anything good in my life at all today is because I have a conscious contact with my higher power and my higher power only exists right here, right now in this moment, you know? So whenever I'm thinking about the past, usually regretting the past or thinking about the future, usually worrying about the future, I'm, I'm time traveling somewhere where my higher power is not. And, you know, it's not going to be good because, you know, God is not there. God is only here, right here, right now. And I need to be here now. And, um, you know, so I got to live a day at a time, even after 12,000 days, you know, and, and I'm happy to do that. You know, people ask me that don't know anything about alcoholism, you know, why do you still go to meetings? You know, God, you've been sober ha over half your life. You know, what are you still doing in those AA meetings? And I go, well, it's, it's not, I don't go to AA meetings so I don't drink or use a drug. You know, I mean, eventually I would do that if I, I didn't go to the meetings, you know, um, but the obsession was removed. You know, and I think that's one of the first miracles from working the steps is the obsession to drink and use drugs is removed, you know, and that only comes from working the steps, you know, but that was true for me within my first year of sobriety. I, I lost the obsession, but I have alcoholism. You know, I have really good alcoholism. I, I've always had alcoholism. I was born with alcoholism. You know, I have an older brother that has alcoholism. It's active still. I pray for him, you know, but, um, you know, but my alcoholism is my thinking, you know, um, I love the insanity to talk about, you know, in the second step, you know, being restored to sanity, you know, the first step in sanity is maybe we're powerless over alcohol and our lives are unmanageable, you know, I'm powerless over alcohol and my life is unmanageable even when I'm sober and the insanity is when I'm stone cold sober but I take a, make a sober decision to drink again or to use drugs, knowing what they do to me. You know, that's the insanity. That's the insanity that we talk about in Alcoholics Anonymous is, is when you, you know, after you've gone from that fun to fun with problems to just problems, you know, that is, your drinking is causing only problems. And you know that's how it's gonna be every time you do it, but you still do it again. You make a sober decision to pick up that drink you know, that, that very next day or whatever it is, you know, I, I swore off with and without solemn oaths many, many times, you know, almost every day. And um, nothing worked until I got to Alfox Anonymous, you know, I, uh, but I had this incredible life, you know, um, and, and, you know, when I was, um, when I was drinking and using, um, I never had enough money. Uh, I, I was over $30,000 in debt when I got sober. And I, uh, it took me seven years to pay, pay all that back. I really wasn't a big earner until after I got out of college. I didn't really start making much money until I started working in the music industry. So it took a while to pay, all, pay back all my financial amends. You know, but I did it. And I, I paid my dad back all that money he had lent me, you know. And, um, you know, but I always had these dreams, you know, these drinking, using dreams of money, property, and prestige. I always wanted to make a million dollars or, you know, get a big house or a fancy car or something like that. And, um, you know, since coming into the program and living a spiritual life, you know, and, and having a conscious contact with a higher power, the only thing I want today is happiness, joy, and freedom to be of maximum love and service to God and my fellows, you know, and I can do every day is a day when I can carry the vision of God's will in all of my activities. I can be of service to somebody else every single day. 
And even during this quarantine, even during this lockdown, where I'm not able to go to my job and help my coworkers or my employers or our customers or anything like that, I can still find ways to help other people. If it's nothing more than a phone call or, you know, coming into a Zoom meeting or speaking at this meeting tonight or whatever it is, you know, and, and you know, so I can find happiness, joy, and freedom every single day. I never did find enough money, property, and prestige. And I don't think if, if that's your goal, you ever, you ever will, you know, but if you, if you search for what I think are spiritual goals, which are happiness, joy, and freedom, you know, uh, they do come true. You can find that. And you can be fulfilled on a daily basis from that. Uh, I don't guarantee you you'll get a, a life beyond your wildest dreams, you know, from getting sober. But it's going to be different, you know. Mm -hmm. And if you give this thing a try, if you thoroughly, honestly surrender and work these 12-steps to the best of your ability, your life's going to be different. And if you're anything like I was, different can only be better. You know, I was dying. I was trying to kill myself. There's no lower, lower form of self-esteem than suicide. You know, how, how much more can you hate yourself if you're actively trying to commit suicide, you know? And so, um, you know, I'll, I'll leave you with this. You know, uh, I have an amazing life today. Everything good in my life was a direct result of Alcoholics Anonymous, this program, these steps, the fellowship, my sponsor, my friends. And um, I hope you can find that too. You know, it's a simple program but it takes work. Uh, I'm so grateful for it and for you. And thank you for allowing me to be a part of the meeting tonight. Thank you very much.